Christmas without you on the disenfranchised podcast where that podcast all about those franchises of one those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film i am your host stephen foxworthy and joining me as always the man who's usually a turtle and rarely a zebra ladies it's my co-host brett wright hey brett ho 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 stephen and how are you this merry and bright evening? Uh, I've been better, but you know. I'm sorry to hear that, dude. Is it, you know, it is what it is. It, it's at least I've, that. I've grown Isn't accustomed. everything? I've grown accustomed to being sick, so. That's not good, dude. That's not yeah, good well. at all. <clears throat> I mean, you, you yeah. have insurance, man. You can You can get that looked at. Well, no, I mean, I actively am. Just, okay, you know, well, that's good. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, sure. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. And also joining us, our own gold-plated whore, it's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hey, that wasn't so bad. I'll take that <laughs> moniker. Before the recording, Stephen was like, I'm going to make fun of you a little bit. Was that, that was making fun of me? I, that was an honor, Stephen. Thank you. Oh, well, that, hey, happy to help, Thank man. Thank you so much. I got it's, you. It's nice because I, I consider myself a, re, a retired whore really okay. more than anything uh but i look back on those glory days and what a wild time to be alive i tell you what Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and gentlemen we are kicking off the holiday season a little bit early this year usually we limit our our christmas episode or our holiday themed episode to just one right around the the christmas day time but this this year we we're going a little big, and uh, we're, for for our format, Black Christmas is the gift that keeps on giving. It really is, <laughs> and so we're doing we're doing a Blackest Christmas miniseries, and uh, we're gonna cap that off with one of the most depressing movies of 2023. So it's just it's 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 just it's a, it's a month of celebration all down the line, uh, and so today to kick it all off, we are talking about. 1974's Black Christmas, the original OG, uh, written by one Mr. Roy, uh, A. Roy Moore, directed by the immortal Bob Clark, and starring Olivia Hussey, uh, Cordulia, Margot Kidder, John Saxon, the fucking great John Saxon, Marion Waldman, Andrea Martin, James Edmond, Douglas McGrath, Art Hindle, Lynn Griffin, so many more gentlemen what a cast what a picture indeed it's all right <laughs> yeah well, yeah so i think i know the answer to this question already but just for the sake of our listeners what is your individual what are, what are your individual histories with black christmas well you have to pick one of us I, I was mean, just going to I was just going to let say whoever... at the same time. You want to go at the same time, Tucker? That'll be fun. Uh... <laughs> I'd like to. That sounds like comedy gold. <laughs> uh, but also um, a bit as sad. the person yeah. who edits this, yeah. he might he might not be as inclined. I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you go first, Brett. All right. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's literally zero. I mean, well, I have a little bit of history, but I don't really want to get into that. So fair. Otherwise, pretty much none. Okay. So. There you go. Right on. Tucker? I once dated a woman who was one of her favorite movies. I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah, there that I had a feeling that's what you were referring to. But yes, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I'm very, I've, I'm very familiar with this film all the way up to actually seeing it. <laughs> um, like I've known about it for a really long time, and I've understood its significance, and I've read essays written on. I have a book that has like an honest to god book that has like essays in it about horror films before like this was like in the mid nineties before people were taking horror films seriously, like as, as actual art, you know, and there's a couple essays in there about it. So I'm very familiar with it. Uh, I just, I just never seen it. I never saw the remakes because I figured, well, I should see the original. You should first. uh, And I just never got around to it. I never got around to it. See, I think it's because I saw. Go ahead, Pat. I was just. Well, I'm going to go off on a whole thing. You finish what you're doing. <laughs> I was just going to say because I think I saw um, the original Tales from the Crypt movie, the British one from the right. 70s. Future episode of um, this podcast. Oh, I can't wait, you guys. That's so good. And the the sequel. Well, you can't. It has a sequel, Vault of Horror. Is Vault of Horror a sequel? Yeah. It's. I mean, an, do anthology movies have sequels? Well, yes. yeah, Trilogy of Terror does, right? And so, and Creep Show. But yeah, there's Vault of Horror is a sequel. It's like the same company. Like, I it was. I think it was advertised as a sequel. I've always thought of it as a sequel. I'm gonna do some research while you talk. Do it anyway. So, I saw the classic uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, was later turned into an episode directed by. Um, Bob Zemeckis himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what the story's called, but it's the one where the lady, uh, spoilers, where the lady kills her husband and then the the psycho Santa guy comes and terrorizes her and her child. Yeah, uh, Zemeckis did it for the uh, Tales from the Crypt the TV show. show. Yeah. yeah. But originally it was part of that original movie and I'm, I, I really wish Vault of Horror weren't a sequel to that because I would love to cover that with you guys because I, that's one of the first horror films that I ever really attached myself to. Like after I saw Night of the Living Dead and Psycho, I was just like getting whatever I could get my hands on. And I was like, what? Tales from the Crypt? Like that's familiar. Oh, I guess I, I didn't realize Vault of Horror was a sequel. So It's totally a sequel, dude. Oops, that's, totally a sequel. that's my yeah. bad. That's unfortunate. We can pretend it's not. And just do it anyway. Uh, that one, that story is called "And All Through the House." Yup, and it's pretty like it. I like the differences between the uh, the British film version and the show version done by uh, Bobby Z, um, because just like we've talked about recently a lot, starting with the Night of the Living Dead remake, mm-hmm. like you've seen the original, so you know how you you know you think you know how it's going to go, right? but they kind of they kind of go the other way sometimes and i appreciate the differences between those two i think they're both really great adaptations of that story uh why did i even bring this up I you guys don't christmas know. horror so it's kind of yeah. Oh, oh yeah yeah later. like i saw that and then i saw um um another christmas horror movie it's not silent night deadly night it was something else and i can't think of what it was silent it was night bloody so- night that was probably the one that that's like just the so dull. earlier one from like the fifties or something. It's so dull. And so I don't know. I just, I feel like I had seen a good one and I saw a bad one and black Christmas was like, okay, whatever. 
I don't really care. The only thing that that has always kind of made me want to watch it over the years is mm-hmm. that Olivia Hussey's in it, and I think she's rad. She's swell. Yeah, um, she she's great. She's really good in Psycho Four, even though Psycho Four is awful and her character is awful, and the things that they make her do in that movie are awful. She's wonderful in it. Um, I mean, she's no stranger to controversy, so I'm not surprised that she took that role and kind of gave it her all. Um, But also, she was really great in It. Like, they didn't use her enough, honestly, in It. Mm -hmm. We could have used some more Olivia Hussey in the 90s It miniseries. We could have just used some more Olivia Hussey in the 90s, period. Full stop, end of sentence. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, uh, but she's yeah, that's fucking phenomenal in this, I think. But yeah, that's kind of the, the the candle that has like stayed lit mm-hmm. for me to eventually watch this movie. And now I've watched it. And now you've watched it. It's like a thing I can cross off of things that I've been meaning to do for like over a decade. And it thanks to this podcast, you have that opportunity and you're welcome. Yeah, dude. Thanks, I'm, man. I'm happy to, happy to be able to do that for you, Brett. You and you were because saying... I've seen this, because I've seen this, it opens the floodgates to the remakes, which are things I've always also wanted to see. Anyway, well, Brett, buckle up, you're in luck. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so that's the weird thing. Like you, you had known what sort of movie Black Christmas is in terms of its like legacy. Mm-hmm. I never did. I never heard anything crazy about how good this movie is or how much it like sets the stage for other slashers like i I didn't i never heard that so i never thought i just thought it was another one of those you know holiday horror movies they made back in the day after halloween i never looked into it i never you know thought it was worth watching um but i mean i'm glad i have and and we'll get into it later but i don't really agree with any of those assessments uh (laughs) but we'll get there Interestingly now, enough, if, um, if, go ahead, Tiger. I would say, interestingly enough, um, Halloween kind of was born out of. Oh, I read recently that Halloween was kind of born out of a conversation between uh, John Carpenter and and maybe Bob Clark about what a sequel to Black Christmas would be. Correct. So we will and get like into what that. other holiday that they would go into, and it kind of like that's. It's sort of for good or for ill. The reason Halloween exists in a lot of ways, yeah, in a lot of yeah. ways. But we can. But we I'm can... probably going to agree with some of the things that you don't like about it because I'm spoilers. I'm pretty much in the middle, which is how this always goes. You I know, mean, somebody's yeah, extreme one side, someone extreme the other, and somebody's in the middle. That's why well, it's I mean, good to have three it, of us though. now because Brett and I used to just knock down, drag out, <laughs> and yes. now we've got like now there's like. One of us gets to be the neutralizing, polarizing force, which is always yeah, nice. But, I, but, I, but I'm more, I think I'm more in line with you, Tucker. I don't hate it. I'm not yeah. on the far end of the spectrum. Like, I get it. I respect it. But I got problems with it. So, I, I mean, it looks great, you guys. I love I the colors in this movie. Oh, yeah. I love the lighting. I want to live in that world. It's like, that reminds me. I know it's the early 70s, but it reminds me of the 80s with like, the wallpaper and the yellow light bulbs mm-hmm. and the coffee tables with trinkets and big gaudy glass ashtrays on them and the ornate furniture and the telephone desks. I miss telephone tables and desks because you just have it in your hallway and that's where the telephone was or like yeah. by the steps, 
you know, before you started mm-hmm. mounting them on walls, you had to have a little table or something to put them on. It, yeah, it was literally just on the on the on the table. Yeah, dude. Uh, I first caught this movie in the far flung year of two thousand and twenty. Um, during that a was that thing, year you watched all the movies <laughs> during a little thing called the COVID nineteen pandemic, where I watched over four hundred movies over the course of the year. Um, and one day I decided that I was going to try to watch 25 Christmas movies in between, um, December 1st and December 25th. And I got into a lot of holiday horror during that time. And one of the tangents that I went on is I watched all three of the black Christmases one right after you're an old hat. You're an old hat. You're the geezer here. I'm something, man. Like it just feels weird. The black Christmas hipster of the group. That I've reckoned with that you guys haven't. Um, it just yeah, feels really congratulations. weird. Particularly congratulations. Particularly because it, it's an obscure 70s thing. So, Tucker, you that's kind of your wheelhouse. It's a horror movie. Hey. That's Brett's wheelhouse. So I just feel very odd that I'm the guy bringing this to the table going, oh, yeah, I've seen this. This oh, is this, great. This is another one of those instances where I got to go, do you need my horror card? Should I turn it in? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen it until today. I don't know. Look, man, no, because... I mean, when I started to get into horror, and as you guys know, I and as I mentioned many times, I'm a very late bloomer when it comes to my horror fandom. I felt a responsibility. And Brett, you actually assisted me with this in 2019 when I started to put together my like list of horror movies that I needed to see for, for Halloween uh, when I was doing my 31 in October marathon, my first one. Uh, you kind of helped me craft that list. Like, what horror movies do I need to see? Like, what are the important ones to see? And in 2020, when no one was doing anything but just watching movies and, like, sitting around, I binged a lot of movies and crossed off. Like, I watched all the Halloween franchise, all the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, all the Friday the 13th franchise. Like, I watched all of those. As just all a, the screams. I, I, all the screams I watched the exorcist for the first time. Like I just, I crossed a lot of, of have not scenes off my list. Um, so, and black Christmas was one that I was just like, you know, when it comes to holiday horror, that's, that's the quote unquote, the one. So I made sure to put that one on my list and um, I liked it, but I think I liked it a lot more on this rewatch. Um, just, like really engaging with it. I love how it looks. I love how fucking creepy it is, how uneasy that ambiguous ending kind of, and you guys know I'm a sucker for a good ambiguous ending. Um, Like just how, how good that ending is. Like it's it. Yeah. Just this, this one kind of grabbed me. It went up a whole, it went up a whole star rating for me this watch. So, wow. Yeah. That's a stars a lot. Mm-hmm. It is for me, especially. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah, so yeah. no, I, and I'm, I'm currently adding this to my Amazon wish list. So hey, the 4K they got a, this. they got a 4k, they got a 4k, man. <laughs> of course they do. Of course they do. Bringing out the dead doesn't even have a Blu-ray and here we are. Yep. Yep. Black that's that, that is the hill you die on is the, <laughs> the bring out the dead I, doesn't have a Blu-ray. <laughs> I own the perfect example of my bringing out the dead doesn't have a Blu-ray and that's the 4k of God told me to. What the fuck is that movie doing on 4K? I love that movie, and I'm so glad it's on 4K. I'm so glad because it looks great. Like, it looks like film. It's insane how good that movie looks for a shitty little Larry Cohen movie, right? In fairness, Tucker, I think I own the epitome of the Bring Out the Dead doesn't have a Blu-ray. Oh, God, is it 
is it uh Howard the Deck? I own Howard the Duck on 4K. <laughs> yeah, dude. Where's my Scorsese, man? Right. Scorsese, Nicolas Cage, Patty Arquette. Like, come on. They've got to do that. They've got, Criterion, Criterion has got to remaster that. It's, look, time's going to tell on that one. I may I may have been waiting for 20 years, but at some point, people are going to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, this is fucking amazing. Everyone that I've talked to that talk revisits it, it when Scorsese goes, comes up. Yeah, this is really good. Like, everyone that I talk to that revisits that movie is like, yeah, I like it because this? because it's not like like Scorsese has a style, mm-hmm. right? He he pretty much kind of does things a certain way with with variations on it and everything. Right. But there are a few movies of his of uh, like Cape Fear being one of them mm-hmm. um, and bringing out the dead being another where he kind of jumps out of his comfort zone and does something a little out there for yeah. Scorsese, you know, right. a little out there. And that's just why not I, his normal wheelhouse. And that's yeah, it's exciting when he does stuff. Like and that. I love I love regular ass Scorsese. But boy, when that boy gets frisky and wild. Mm-hmm. Whoo, that's why my two favorite Scorsese's are straight up bringing out the dead in Cape Fear, dude. So those are the ones where he's like, let's let's go batshit, dude. Let's go nuts. You want to you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. That Scorsese, like Michael Keaton heard him say that. And he's like, we should put that in the movie. <laughs> that's what that, that should was. be in the movie yeah <laughs> you guys let's put that in the movie guys that should be in yeah. the movie absolutely but yeah, no but black christmas man black christmas um what a what a what a movie i i i had a lot of fun with this one uh kind of bummed that you guys didn't have as much fun with it as i did but um you know what i i think i think this is this is a movie that stands up to rewatch i will say that just right off i the think top. I think for me, my expectations were too high. Potentially. Considering how much that I've engaged with it without actually engaging with it for the past 20, 25 years. That makes sense. Um, I was just more disappointed really than anything else. It is good. It's it's great even. And I think um, that something that gives it more credit is how much influence that it's had on slashers and the horror genre as a whole. Right. Like no matter what my star rating is on the quality of this film, Mm -hmm. its influence rating is a fucking five with a bullet. Yeah. And I don't think it's very difficult to deny that. Like when most people look at proto slashers, this is, I think, toward the top of the list. Um, I think some would debate whether or not Texas Chainsaw Massacre belongs on the list. I think it does. I Uh, think it does. Friend of the podcast. I don't think Psycho does. Uh, Peeping Tom and Psycho Psycho. are the two that most people like point to as like the, the earliest of those and Peeping Tom, I would say maybe more than Psycho. Um, Have you guys, either of you guys seen Peeping Tom, Michael? uh, I have not. No. Oh, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, That's uh, Michael Powell um, directed that one and it ruined his career uh, because it was too, too edgy for the 1960s, for the late fifties, early sixties. So but no, that movie fucking It was rips. three edgy, five you. <laughs> Correct. That's what it was. <laughs> Damn you. Um, you asshole. You gold-plated <laughs> whore. Um, That's me. <laughs> yay. Sparkle, sparkle. Um, but yeah, we... Um, but no, yeah, I... I don't know. This, I, let's, just, let's just crack into it, man. Well, so I was um, going to say, I think the reason that I didn't like it as much is just... It, it, it's 
got in its own way, I guess. Like, I don't really know how to describe this phenomenon that I've ran into myself and seen other people run into, where it's just you've seen everything that's been influenced by it before you see the original thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not as, you know, like, oh my God, this is incredible because I've seen everything that borrowed and stole and was influenced by it. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't hit the same way. And, and and I think for me, that was, that was the first watch for me. Um, but when I rewatched it this time, I kind of endeavored to meet the movie on its terms where it was. And I, I, I got to tell you, I had a lot more fun with it this next, this last time it, I forgot how fucking funny this thing is. Like it's, it's, I was, I was having a great time. I was laughing. I was like getting spooked. I was, I was having a blast, man. The cops are so incompetent. That's what I found to be humorous. Uh, partic- their jobs, particularly Sergeant Nash, um, the lovable doofus Sergeant Nash. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't put in like the goofy, like slide whistle and boing boing music, <laughs> like in Last House on the Left. When the two cops come in and like all of a sudden it's a screwball comedy when it's literally the most horrifying and disturbing film you've ever seen the rest of the time. Correct. Yeah. And that music comes in. Bing, bing, boing, bing, rip. It is kind of almost like a Keystone Cops routine when the cops show up. And fortunately, you've got motherfucking John Saxon to kind of like ground the fucker. But like, God, I... Mm. Mm. John Saxon. I'd forgotten he was in this movie and he shows up. I'm like, fucking John Saxon's here. Yeah, and I just kind of relaxed because I knew I was in good hands. Like presaging the role he would he would become famous for playing by 10 years. Um mm-hmm. did you know that he was a last minute addition to the cast? I did not know that. Tell us more about that, Stephen. Um, so they had hired actor Edmund O'Brien, Academy Award winner Edmund O'Brien to initially play the lieutenant and he showed up, he came to the set and, um, or he, he was, they picked him up from the airport and he was in a wheelchair and they were like, "Mm." so like they took him to the hotel and he's, he's, he's able to walk and he's like, you know, able to get changed, but he's taking a long time with it. Um, and then like they take him out to dinner before the shoot and they realize that he is, um, he doesn't know where he is. And I he, did read about this. He had dementia. He has early onset uh, Alzheimer's. It would take it. He would. He would. He wouldn't die for another ten years. But they realized, like, particularly because they were going to be filming in like the cold Canadian winter, like we cannot subject this man to this because it's going to take him twice as long to actually film what he needs to film because he's not going to be able to remember it. And so they had well, to cut. They him. shot it in Toronto, eh? Yeah. Uh, just probably just outside of Toronto. And they, uh, so they, I think it was the cinematographer had worked with John Saxon on something before and just called him up and was like, Hey, um, you've got two days to get to Toronto if you want this part. And he came out, he showed up, he did the part and he fucking killed it. John Saxon always shows up. He does. And I have to believe I have to believe that this movie had a lot to do with Craven casting him in, in a very similar kind of role in Nightmare on Elm Street. I could see that. I mean, I, he did do a lot of other stuff, and some of those other roles were police people as well. Sure. 
but I mean, considering the genre, like, I mean, even Nightmare on Elm Street owes a little bit to this movie, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. And I think, and again, this is, it, it presages the slasher genre in a lot of very specific and very interesting ways without fully leaning into all of the tropes that Halloween would crystallize um, by being as big and as crazy and as epic as it is. Um, Something very similar to Halloween and Texas Chainsaw, for that matter, is that there's not, it, this is, I feel like this is a movie much like those two movies that people remember being a lot more violent and gory than they are. Absolutely. Whereas most everything, you don't see it, but the 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 way that it's orchestrated in front of you, you don't have to see it. Exactly. Like, it's very it's Jaws-esque in that regard. Like you don't actually see the killer like you see, but you see what he hath wrought. Um, and, and this movie comes out a year before Jaws too. So like you've got kind of all these little like flag posts and all these ways that it influences the genre and other films as well. Uh, there's a, I watched a documentary on this movie and one of the people they interviewed is the director of the original, my bloody Valentine Canadian director, George Machalka. And uh-huh. he's, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm probably getting that wrong. Um, but he, he's sitting there talking. He goes, I just kind of unconsciously put these elements in my film. You know, these aren't teenagers. I wanted to do like more adult. And I subconsciously put all these things like the, the little sing song by baby bunting, like the, the, the minor sing something similar as he's, as he's crawling away at the end of the film. Like because I subconsciously put all these things in the film. And then I went back and watched black Christmas after I did it. I was like, Oh, I'm just cribbing from this. Like this, this is where I got all that. I just didn't realize that this is where I got all that from. Like it, it, it's got quite the reach. And this is like one of the highest grossing Canadian films of its day too. Well, Brett had mentioned in the, Brett had mentioned some fantastic horror bangers back then. Mm -hmm. Brett had mentioned in the chat, the, the connections between this and my bloody Valentine. And I have to, I have to agree. It's, it's really one of the more, um, it's an easy line to draw mm-hmm. from for sure. between those two films for, for sure. sure. Though my bloody Valentine, it, it does kind of seem like an upgrade in some ways. Absolutely. Not so much. Uh, I, I'm not going to say. I will say in quality, but not specifically in quality. But like it took the things specifically the things from Black Christmas, and just kind of amped them up a little bit and like fit the pieces together a little more like what I'm trying to say is just say, just that, say what you're trying to say Tucker. that black Christmas crawled so that my bloody Valentine can motherfucking sprint. Okay. Dude. I, That's I what would I'm agree saying. With that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this, this movie is, I, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Well, maybe um, I need to break my rewatch rule and give it another shot sometime. Do it. Ah. I'm yeah, going to rewatch it just simply because I feel like I had so much baggage going into this about this film. Not like baggage in a bad way, just like a, a lot of preconceived notions about this film. Um, And I don't know. It's like by the end, I was more into it than I was at the beginning, but I still just, I, it took me a while to get there. And so I kind of want to have that experience where it's like, it's all good instead of me being disappointed first 
and then a little bored and then like oh this is actually really good and i feel like if i watch it again maybe it'll just be good and i i think that that's kind of where i started with this one too when i watched it a few years ago uh so i i have a feeling this one's going to join the regular rotation club this will this i think this will be one i revisit um maybe annually maybe every other annually but yeah, I I had a blast with this one. I did. I had a good time. and my partner's not seen it, so I may end up watching it again this year, just so I can watch it with her, just so I can show it to her because I think I think she might get a kick out of it. So, you know, Stephen, you were asking uh, the the patrons like uh, what kind of Patreon content they wanted for this month. Mm-hmm. I say a special second viewing of OG Black Christmas <laughs> <laughs> reassessment. <laughs> Where we all come back it tomorrow. Oh God, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's a bad idea. No. We've we've got too much stuff, other stuff to record tomorrow. Let's not. Nah, do that. here's what we do. Okay, so we do this one, and then you know whatever other movies we have. No, you already said we'll do 06 and then 2019, and then we'll do that other movie you didn't mention. But for the Patreon, we'll do rewatch of. OG Black Christmas. So we'll have the remakes in our system as well. You see what I'm saying? I see. It'll be like an ultimate reassessment. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, I will say that the remakes of this one get end up going in some very interesting, very different directions. I, I'm I will excited. Just, I, will, I will leave it at that. Uh, I don't want to... I like the s- cast of at least one of these right. remakes. Right. So... There you go. So uh, if you want to hear that, if we end up doing it, you should go to patreon.com slash disenfranchedpod and, uh, you know, join our Patreon. If you if you got $5, won't you lay your money down? Yeah, dude. Because uh, uh, we got a ton of great stuff back there for you. Just, you know, let us know. Yeah. Um, so what do you say? We're about a half an hour into this. And uh, what do you say we go ahead and jump into the plot of this Mamma Jamma? I like that idea. Sure. Uh, So this is a part of the show we call the plot in 60 seconds. Uh, This is the part where uh, Brett Wright, our immortal lore master, uh, will roll the D6 of Destiny. He has assigned two sides to each of us. And uh, whichever side is rolled, that is the person who will be recounting the plot of this film, 1974's Black Christmas, in 60 seconds or Less Brett, who's it going? First of all, remind us whose side is whose, and then let us know who it's going to be. Yes, so I believe I have it written down here. Stephen, you are one and two. I'm three and four. Tucker, you're five and six. That's how I recall. We had to to standardize that because I just wasn't ever rolling me. So Seniority. That's what that is. That's the seniority. (laughs) The pecking order? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And you're higher because this was your idea. So that's why I always that's why I always put you in the middle of the mix, Stephen, because you're the glue that holds us together. Oh shucks, guys. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you're the reason why it sucked when I hosted last week. What did we hit? What did we see? Two. Ah, it's not me. me. Yeah, it's me. That means I can go pee while you do this. All right. Well, that means Brett, you have to put sixty seconds on the clock. Indeed. While indeed. Tucker's off making his gladder, bladder gladder. Goodness, can't even talk. This is going to be fun. All right, I have 60 seconds on the clock. You may begin whenever you fucking please. Sounds 
great. Outside of a sorority house in Bedford, Ontario, uh, a man is uh, sneaking in to a Christmas party and the sorority sisters get an obscene phone call with a guy they call the Moaner, who's just really being really crass and nasty. And they're all kind of like, ew, gross. Uh, and one of the girls goes upstairs and she gets strangled by the guy who snuck in with a pl- plastic bag and he puts her up in the attic. And uh, everyone's kind of leaving for Christmas break. So no one really notices that people are going missing until the girl's father shows up and he's looking for her and no one really knows where she is. One of the other girls is pregnant and she tells her boyfriend who gets really kind of like mad and possessive. And eventually the killer who's living in the house starts picking everybody off. The inept cops get involved. They figure out the calls are coming from inside the house. They show up to kill the guy who's there who happens to be the pregnant girl's boyfriend. He gets killed. And, but it turns out after all the cops leave and they leave the girl alone in bed, that the real killer is still in the house. 10 seconds. And then you hear the phone Five ring seconds. 13 times because he calls them after he kills everyone. And his name is Billy and Agnes. And don't tell them That's what he did, Agnes. time. You guys, he says cunt so many. Can I say cunt? I can say cunt on here, right? I don't see he why says not. It I mean, so many times. Yeah. He, I was like, I love, look, I love the word cunt. I love it. I think it's great. And if I were a woman, I would feel empowered by that word. But I'm not a woman. In Britain. Like, I'm not a woman, so I don't really have an opinion on it. But I love that word phonetically. I mean, you you do beautiful. have an opinion on it. Um, You're giving I'm saying, us your but, opinion on it right now. I'm saying, but maybe it's only like a little bit valid instead of like all the way valid. Because I'm not someone who has a vagina, which is what cunt is synonymous with. It's a synonym. It's literally a synonym. It's, it's a, it's if a, you look a, in the thesaurus under vagina, cunt will come up. It's a, a, uh, a, I guess, I don't know if euphemism is the right word, but. A slang term. Sure. But it's not, that's not how the British use it. No. The, the Europeans, no. they use it in a completely well, different way. And let me tell you, Brett, I, I lived in, in the Europe for a while. <laughs> no big <laughs> you lived deal. in the <laughs> Europe? <laughs> no big the deal. Europe? Not just the, any Europe. The Europe. The Europe. Europe. Okay. And they're so much looser with sexuality over there. Like, it's not taboo. Like, sex is just a thing, and nudity is just a thing, and who fucking cares? It's the human body. You know? So I think that has a lot to do with how they just throw cunt around as well. Because, like, it's just... It's just cunt, man. And for all you people who don't like the word cunt, I apologize. Um, If there's enough of you and you leave comments, I will provide a beeped version of every episode going forward with every instance of me saying cut beeped out. I don't know that we need to make it a habit to keep saying it, but okay. But I like it. It's such a good word. It's like, fuck. Okay. Have you ever, Tucker, have you ever seen the vagina monologues? I thought you were going to ask if I'd ever seen a vagina. (laughs) No. And I'm like, no, what's it like? <laughs> Have you ever seen Eat Playwright Eve Ensler's the magi- the vagina monologues? Uh, Eat Pray Love is that what you said? Eve Ensler's the vagina monologues. Uh, no, but much like this film, before I saw it, I'm very like adjacently familiar with it. I so I please stop that. Um, These are the vagina monologues. And this is me. Like, oh no, wait, I'm not ready. Um. <laughs> I was in my youth, I was, and by youth, I mean my twenties. Uh, I w- I ran tech for a production. You of were a theater kid. The vagina monologues. Yeah. 
Um, and I was, I was the lone penis involved in that production. Everybody else in the production was female. I was not. Um, and it, it is an insanely good play. Like I learned a lot from that production. Um, but one of the monologues is about a woman who does feel empowered by referring to her vagina as a cunt. And she says that word so many times over the cross over the course of just like three minutes no i gotta see it and you're just like like the first time i heard it i'm like it, like back on the soundboard just kind of holding my temples going what is this and then by the end i was just like fuck yeah you go girl like it's it's I an insanely seen. amazing production uh or a, a, a amazing show and if you if there's a good production showing near you uh particularly if you're male go see it like it, there's it's not, I learned a lot, but on Max streaming on Max is the 2002 version uh, created and performed by Eva Ensler. So Eva it's, Ensler, yeah. it's the original person doing the thing that she wrote. So I'm putting that on my list. Hell yes. And I want you to watch it tonight so that when we. Oh, record... no. SNL's on at 1130. Um, <laughs> I mean, so... we might still be recording by then. No, we, we, we better we fucking bet not, not be. be. <laughs> we bet not be. All right. Now, if we'd had a what are we watching, I'd be a little more lenient, but this does not need to go on for three hours, Stephen. Ooh, I still need to watch Blue Beetle. What was I um what was I looking for? Oh yeah, vaginal monologue. My vagina monologues. We so we were talking about um yeah, the 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 moaner. And I don't think the guy calling at the beginning of the movie is Billy. But I think they think he is. See, that's that's kind of what sort of confused me during it is because it seemed like they did have just a guy. It's it's then... definitely the same actor. It is absolutely you still so? Nick. I, it is absolutely Nick Mancuso. But He's do you think it's supposed one... to be the same character though? Because I, I feel like there was a distinct difference between the cunt guy and yes. everything that came after it. I I agree. The and moment... he wasn't even in the house at that point. Correct. He's he's but still at, coming into the house at that point, right? But at the same time, I mean, it seems well established that the 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 killer uh, just has multiple personalities and can change his voice at will. So, mm-hmm. like, I think you could argue either way, honestly. And that's one thing that I both forgive, but do not. That makes me feel kind of easy, uneasy about this film is how. Uh, this person that's doing this is not like a Jason or a Freddy or a Leatherface or something. This is a severely mental ill person, mentally ill person. Hmm. Like, and they make that very clear that this person, this is not an evil person. This person is nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, and in a way that's, that's almost kind of realistic to a fault. Yeah. That kind of makes me uncomfortable. And maybe that's the point of it. I think on I some know. level, yeah, but and, and you, you also need to remember that, and this is, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is something that happened. I get it. The stigmatization of mental illness in the 70s and even as recently as the fucking 90s or the 2000s is pretty egregious. Um, well, and while I won't excuse it or condone it, I, I agree with you. You know, yeah. like the the more time passes, the more humanity gets less ignorant. Correct. I'm not saying you can't blame them. I'm just right. saying, I'm you saying, know, that's also what I'm saying. People yeah. then I don't think we're all malicious. Just most of them were just ignorant. Correct. And unfortunately, ignorance is 
no excuse, really. Yeah. And um, if I could go back and watch it in the seventies, I would love to do that. But I have to watch it now in the twenty sure. twenties. You ain't so got I no dial of destiny. It. No, I wish I did. Or a DeLorean. It or only takes you to the same place. Or a, spoilers. Or a TARDIS. Any other yeah. type of But Hope you want to meet Archimedes. Um making all these Indiana Jones references I don't recognize. Because <laughs> you're the you only will. one of us that's seen that fucking movie. I am, and I'm probably like the not even the I'm the least fan. Probably I'm very indifferent on Indiana Jones. I don't want to get off on a tangent on that though. Please continue, Brett. Yeah, keep going, Brett. Uh, well, I mean, I was just saying that you know I have to watch it in the the view of somebody from 2020 where the world has gotten less ignorant. Mm-hmm. So I think that hurt the movie too because it was my first time watching it, and I only had to view it from this lens, not sure. an older one. There, there is a part of me that does try to reset um, my brain a little bit, but it doesn't always work and it doesn't, and depending on how egregious some of those things are, it doesn't always forget. Like it absolutely doesn't forgive. So like, and I, I, you know, this, I would not say this is a perfect film, but I will say it's a great one, but I think there, there are certain things that are holding it back, keeping it from me from seeing it as a perfect film. And that might be one of them for sure. But and and, also, yeah, Billy's portrayal as someone who is very severely mentally uh, disturbed is a choice for sure. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I don't know. I don't, for the reasons you liked the ending, I hated the ending because you know how much I hate ambiguity. Uh, right. You're, you're a lore guy. You, you want yeah. the concretion. And I, I mean, and that's, and I'll get into that's part of that's part that's one of the main. There's like three main issues I have with the movie. One of them is the mental illness thing. Mm. The second one is is this that like I'm spending the entire movie trying to solve it like a regular slasher. Like who could that possibly be? And it's it's too obvious that it's her boyfriend. So it mm. can't possibly be him. Right. Um, they so they, they, they make, make that the reddest herring possible. Yeah, and like, come to find out, it doesn't matter. All is, all your detective work was for nothing because he's you have the communism no idea the of this movie because he's just yeah. a red herring. And that well, is, I mean, he is an asshole, though. Yes, like, like, what's that like, dude doing? But like, and come again, on, man, that I think is Look, another you thing. Do that. This like, movie is doing really well. Is it's it's d- dealing with issues that like were starting to come to the forefront in the seventies, like women having autonomy over their bodies and being able to, you know, make career decisions and life decisions outside of a man's approval. And like this movie, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was intending to do that. Like I think both Bob Clark and Olivia Hussey are like, no, it's not really what we're doing. We're just trying well, to, it's, it's like the Ben and night of the living dead thing where right. like it has a lot of weight, but it was probably not even intended. Just kind of and to hear Bob Clark say we needed, we needed something else to happen when people weren't dying. So this is what was happening. Like that's just kind of his throwaway explanation. Well, and man, of I that love Olivia point. Hussey. And when you you tell Olivia Hussey what to do with her body, it makes me mad. I agree. It makes me I real agree. mad. And then he goes and like he's such a he's such a toddler, dude. Like he's you such know a who that bitch. guy is. Do you know who that guy is? <laughs> I don't know who that. Wait, Curdulia. Yeah, I do. Or Curdulia. I've think seen it's him lesson. in stuff. Uh, you've probably seen, seen him in the movie that Bob Clark saw him in that made him want to cast him in this movie, Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, I knew who he was in that, but no, I don't. I don't he's I, he is the star child. He's Dave. Uh, my God, it's full of stars. Yeah, that's that's him. The only star child I know is part of Parliament with George Clinton. 
It's the only okay. Star Child I know. I, I also Let's uh, get this straight. I also know Paul Stanley, uh, and I also well, know. I guess he is a Star Child too. A little, a little guy named Ziggy Stardust too. So. And also Greg Universe from Steven Universe is also a Star Child. Still have not seen that show. Lots yeah. of Star Childs around here. Star Child, yeah. Star Children. We live in a galaxy of star children. Um, But anyway, back to to my point. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Yes. Well, it was a tangent. We're back now. Um, Yeah, yeah. Let me get back on track with what I was saying. Sorry. Uh, No, that's fine. Um, So, and that's, so that's, that's another, it's a perfect example of the viewing it from this, this lens. Like, I was trying to solve who the killer was because that's how all slasher movies are now. Right. They weren't then. So like for it to be an ambiguous person, like that was probably revolutionary. Um, but like I spent the whole movie trying to solve it and I got blue balls and it's just, it wasn't fun. Which I is was, why I was pissed off at the end. Bob uh, Clark himself would say, this is not a slasher. He, he says, this is a psychological horror film. Yeah. And I and think I, viewed I in that lens, it, you would probably enjoy it more, but if you're going into it saying, ah, slasher, yes, then. Well, no, I mean, I I get that point, but I wouldn't just because any movie like this, where there's a hidden killer or a hidden somebody, I'm going to spend the movie trying to figure out who it is. Um, Like just because that's the fun thing to do. Sure. I don't think too hard about it. Um, you know, as I've gone on record as saying, I, I just like to sit back and turn my brain off. But it's a lot of fun to try to figure out who it could be. Right. You know, especially when they're throwing you red herrings and like pointing yeah. you towards certain people. You think that it's a mystery because they present it that way. Right. Yeah. I view it as part of the fun because I know people either go, man, you're such a hypocrite. You said you don't like to solve these things. I mean, I don't, but it's part <laughs> of the fun of a movie. Like it's, 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 it's it's engagement. Engagement Engagement is part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm engaging with it. Yeah. Um, I I take, go ahead. I was just going to say it's that thing where if, if you're presented with a mystery, you're presented with a whodunit and there's no actual way. It's what I love about the, the Ryan Johnson, uh, Benoit Blanc mysteries is he has the answer right in front of you. You're just not looking at it right. You're just not looking at it from the right perspective, but it's always been there. It's always been right in front of you. Um, but there, the, I think it gets frustrating when you throw in a twist at the end that there was no way anyone could have seen coming. Like um, the one example that I always go back to is the Batman comic Hush by Jeff Loeb, where there's no way you can tell the identity of the mastermind behind the whole thing because it literally is just something that he tells you on one page of the comic. And then you're just, Oh, okay. And that was the answer, I guess. Like it just, it doesn't make any sense until he puts the pieces together for you, but there's no way you could have figured that out. Right. And I guess, cause it, that's the thing I kept thinking the entire time though, was like, there's not enough characters in this movie that fit who could be the killer. Mm-hmm. And the one that they're presenting as the killer is clearly the red herring. So it's not him. Right. Who else could it fucking be? I kept saying that over and over. Like, so I guess in a way I could see you saying like screaming that at the television. <laughs> yeah, I can see you. I can actually, now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see him doing that. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, not, shaking not that, his not... fist in rage and getting <laughs> red in the face. Shaking and... and crying, you know. <laughs> oh, I don't know what it's going to be! Just uh, chugging rum straight from the bottle. His face. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can tell us that this movie broke you, Brett. You can it's let fine, us know. We're all friends here. Uh, We're all friends. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Uh, not nearly that emotive. <laughs> <laughs> We like to imagine you that way, though. It's we fun do. For us. Yeah, in our minds, eyes, probably. That's that's always how we see you in the back of our brains. Uh, and also, enough. because you're not that emotive, it's really fun to imagine you getting that emotive. That's yeah, that's really what like, it is. True. It's because really you're just go, such a man. chill, even kill dude. It's just so fun to think of you like getting just red in the face, angry, just like vibrating from every pore of your body over out of anger of something. It just. Yeah, and when, yeah. when in reality, your reaction, your reaction is like, damn it. Like, that was probably the extent of your actual reaction. Yeah. But it's just his again, actual reaction is like, well, who else is this supposed to be? <laughs> Pretty much. But why is, who why else is, could it be? Who else yeah. Could it be? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he, he's, he gets a little more emotive in his voice. He's, he's not that <laughs> deadpan, but yeah. No, no. The voice is where you can tell the emotions. Uh, <laughs> which, not the which, face. No, not the face at all. Um, it's it's a funny story that reminded me of is I asked uh, my girlfriend the question about like um, that was going around the internet for a while about uh, if you were to see me arguing with somebody on the street what would I be arguing with them about Mm -hmm. Um, her response I thought you were asking her how often she thinks about Rome (laughs) the Roman Empire don't. No, that's so, what she that's asked. The whole him. thing, right? Okay, yeah, guys. Started on that bullshit. I don't <laughs> No, I agree. One hundred percent. I'm with you there, Brett. Anyway, please no, go I ahead. remember Brett texting me is like, "Am I supposed to be thinking about the Roman Empire?" Like, how yeah. you? me too. I'm like, I never I'm like, think about that. Like, yeah. am I not masculine enough? Like, I guess not. I guess, yeah, maybe that's what it God, is. God, I love uh, meme culture, you guys. Just, just a bunch of butt fucking beta males over here. But yeah, word. Um, and she said, "I, I don't." fucking no i can't imagine you arguing with anybody on the street and that's i'm like yeah that's if there's a correct answer to that question that would be it i think i said the street (laughs) and brett will stand his ground but he'll also avoid confrontation at pretty much all costs it also helps if you get him behind a microphone on a podcast then he'll tell you what he really thinks and i'm comfortable with the people i'm talking to true so i i think i think i answered that question with probably something ghostbusters related like probably a bad ghostbusters opinion i think was my response to that and then but i think i preface it with i can't really see you doing that but if i could probably something ghostbusters related i think was my full answer but yeah yeah which makes sense you have intimate knowledge of that true Uh, i've i've been on the receiving end of an argument on the street about ghostbusters so yeah chewed out on the street by brett (laughs) Up one side and down the other, my friend. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Multiple nom, times. Nom, nom. Um, yes, true. <laughs> but To anyway. the extent that Brett can't even mention Ghostbusters around me anymore. <laughs> I can't mention Afterlife. I can't mention Afterlife. That's around. true. You can't. Uh, no, we can't talk about that. It's taboo. Um, right. It's it's the one thing we don't, we don't talk about on mic. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Or off mic, even. Right. Um, At all. So, but, <laughs> Some people don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Afterlife. Nope. Um, so anyway, back back to my point. I made my own tangent. Huzzah! Nice, um, you did building it. your own tangent. I did it. Welcome. Um, wait, what was my point? Oh shit! Oh, that, that the that the the end was was just 
you know, a surprise. I, I guess if you're looking at it from the lens of like, well, it couldn't, there wasn't anybody it could be. So I guess the answer was in front of me the whole time. I just didn't want to believe it. Right. Um, because I knew that answer would piss me off if it was true. Surprise. It did. Hey, um, see, I don't know for me, that's, that's what kind of makes the pit of my stomach drop out for me. Like when I see that, that, I'm just like, Oh my God. Like it, it gets like that much more disturbing and bone chilling for me in that moment. Well, I think that's why a, a second watch for all of us would be good because I think uh, it's specifically for Brett. It wouldn't bother him so much because he already knows like there's no right. reason to spend time or effort on thinking about any of that. You can just kick back and like you say, turn it off and have a good fucking time. Yeah, it's a possibility, which is why I'm willing to break the rewatch rule, you know, yeah. like, so I, I might. I very well might. Um, yeah. I, yeah again i think it stands up for sure like i did some... not expect to enjoy it as much as i did this time and i i had such a blast with it this time you're gonna hear a lot from me in the group chat tomorrow about us doing a rewatch and a patreon episode because we're gonna be i think we might be depending on our guests we might be down to what are we watching so we got to do something else um it's going to depend on what what i i will talk we can talk about that i'm just saying we're i'm going to blow up the chat tomorrow and we're going to talk about this because i want to do the rewatch and a patreon episode about the rewatch okay all right all right yeah Yeah. but uh so yeah i I get because i saw a lot of reviews talking about that because this this was definitely one of those situations where i immediately went to letterboxd and was like what what am i missing right um so clearly i'm missing something (laughs) <laughs> and and yes that was that was a lot of a lot of reviews said that like that the end is is very chilling for that reason and it's very disturbing and terrifying that we it's just a crazy guy and he's still in the house um right so yeah i and i get that and and yes i i, I will even admit that like the phone ringing over the credits is pretty creepy yeah um but, particularly but, because you've grown accustomed to knowing what that phone ringing means and what, and so the implication of that is ringing along with that sound in your ears. And it, again, it's the ambiguity. Does he, does he not? Is that what happens? Um, This movie was distributed in the United States by Warner brothers and Warner brothers hated the ambiguous ending of this film and so they suggested a more concrete ending to bob clark and i'm just going to pitch this to you brett and i want to i want you to tell me which one that you would rather see um so the the film ends um uh olivia hussey in the bed uh everyone leaves the room uh chris is presumably like he's he's in there the cops leave um someone is is staying watching uh, the house, everyone kind of goes off. Uh, and then we cut back to, uh, uh, is Olivia Hussey's character Jess? Is that, yeah, that's her name, Jess. Yeah, it is. Uh, we cut back to Jess who wakes up in bed and, um, Chris is laying next to her and Chris says, don't tell them what we did, Agnes and kills her. The end. What, uh, who, what Chris the was, Chris was the Claire's boyfriend, the first guy that uh, the first girl that died he was her boyfriend who was kind of sticking around the whole movie yeah but that doesn't make any sense because he le- well no i guess he does leave right before claire dies so i guess that makes sense it could work 
I mean, it, doesn't work, about... it doesn't work with the POV at the beginning, but the rest of it could, yeah. Wait, are you guys talking about the girl that got suffocated with the bag? Yeah. You're talking about the girl that's up in the attic with the, the bag over her head? Claire, yeah. The girl that, with the bag over her head in the attic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys know there's a girl in the attic with a bag over her head? Did you guys know that? Because this movie wants to keep reminding yeah. us I every okay. fucking okay. seconds that okay. this motherfucker's in the attic with a bat. We get it. I get it. And then yeah. once once our, our den mother joins her on the hook, she's just along for the ride, dude. She's mm-hmm. just part of that now. Like, yeah. after every other scene, it's like, hey, hey, you guys remember me up in the attic? You guys don't, don't forget it's there's dead bodies right. upstairs. It's don't such... it even is. That's the ending shot of the movie. It's such a, it's such a stark and disturbing image that I'm it I is get but, why they keep cutting back to it. I get it. You know, I, I, I guess from an artistic standpoint, but as an audience member, it makes me feel like they're treating me like an idiot. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Now that you mentioned because it, it's not something that I, I clocked myself, but I, yeah, you're right. I just and yeah. like, I could, if it were less often, like it would be okay, but I'm not kidding you guys. After it happens, every other scene <laughs> is just they're like, "Hey, yeah." After after every after every scene that's in the house, they cut to her in the attic. Like I say, and even the ending scene is a big pull out from that window. And speaking of the ineptitude of the cops, you could see her from the fucking street. Yep, in like cloudy weather. Hmm. Yeah, which Come brings on, guys. me. It's a great segue, which brings me Come to on, number guys. three. My, Complaint my number three. <laughs> Complaint number three. The, the end of Brett's movie, trifecta. There's yes. things in this movie that make zero fucking sense. Uh, one, uh, what was the deal with the dead kid? That didn't go anywhere. It didn't matter. The first plot. victim is is kind of what that was my thought. I, I guess. But I guess it's the same thing as the first caller. Like, Mm-hmm. Is it the same person? Is it not? Right. Why the fuck? Why is the it fuck relevant? Would I think anything else? Is it relevant? Yes. Is it relevant? And I guess Certainly it's, it doesn't it's, seem like it. It's it's relevant. I, I don't know. This is how I see it. It's relevant in terms of setting the stage for everyone just kind of being a little freaked out and a little creeped out already. Well, and I agree with that, but I think it only works about half the time because uh, I think the the people making this film were trying to make it very slow on on purpose because it, it, they wanted it to be very suspenseful and half the time that really works and the other half of the time you're sitting in this movie like what the fuck does this have to do with anything in fairness you also have Who to fill out a feature cares? length runtime so who cares it's it's like the opposite of back to the future where like you watch back to the future every scene every piece of dialogue every shot moves the plot forward Mm-hmm. whereas in this movie like sometimes they stop for a bit and it really does work for suspense but sometimes they stop for a bit and do some shit that doesn't fucking matter that is just a waste of my fucking time in this movie Bring you know what i mean reaching home yeah the guy yes, and you're like, like, the man, cop vibes. that gets shot at the end the cop that gets shot in the ass at the end and there's that whole fucking scene because everybody's on edge man the whole it, it, the whole town's fucking it, it, up in arms about this well, okay, but that's apparently what the dead kid was supposed to do, too. Why do you got to reiterate it again? I later? agree with you, Brett, this... but also I do love that scene. That old man just being I mean, like, he would fit right in with the MAGA crowd, dude. I mean, that, like, that, that yeah. old, that Shove that gun funny. up your ass sideways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
It is. It is pretty funny. I will. It's it's great. Yeah. No, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Pointless. No. Maybe. Completely agree with you. Pointless. Maybe. Entertaining. Hilarious. Yes. That's that's one of those moments of comedy that I think this movie that this movie doesn't get enough credit for, like that and the the fellatio scene in the um in the the police office the first time where. Uh, Margot Kidder is telling Nash that the 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 phone number and and he doesn't know what fellatio clearly has no idea what fellatio, you think he does and then it becomes very evident that he and has you're no like, idea. Oh, wait, and that joke would be a lot better if I didn't just like loathe her character in this movie. Like I see what they're mm. trying to do, and I want to have that relationship with that character. Mm-hmm. When we're like, yeah, we're a sassy bit. No, she's just <laughs> annoying. Just annoying. It, it definitely hits different um knowing how she died uh so yeah a little bit oh yeah i hadn't considered that but now that you mention it right very unfortunate that you do not pour one out for her Uh, i mean do but not right don't show respect but yeah respectfully um which then to the the fellatio point yeah um uh like they said they then they 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 could have just let that be a funny joke Mm mm-hmm but then later on in the movie, when you might have even forgotten that joke, mm-hmm. they, they just lampshaded. Like, just here you go. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna make sure you knew that was funny earlier, and we're gonna have this random other detective who we haven't seen before just <laughs> laughing the whole fucking time. For no and that is literally all that, uh, that that character does. That is the only thing that character does is just laugh at inappropriate shit. Like, because when the the guy, cop gets shot in the ass. What's he doing? He's standing there laughing. The whole that's just that is that character. And I yeah. kind of if if man if you if anyone out there is a filmmaker and just wants to cast me in a movie as the guy who stands in the corner and laughs at everything, please do. I would love to play that part. I'd watch that movie. The funny thing is, is in the credits, he's you know billed as laughing detective. I think, mm-hmm. um, but. He has a name. He calls him by name in the last scene. His name is Buchanan. I don't know why he wasn't billed that way in the credits. Because nobody would know who Buchanan was, but they sure do know who Laughing Detective is. Uh, they fair. sure do know who that motherfucker that's, is. That's a fair point. <laughs> this um, defining trait. Right. Always laughing. Always sure. laughing. Yeah. Look, everyone's a, everyone's got something. He's got laughing. What a what a great character that really added to this film. Um, speaking of the cops, though, um, <laughs> then the the final bit of this trifecta of gripes, um, which I guess is intentional that the cops are inept, but like you're telling me you don't after, have a movie if they're not right, right? Because you, you're telling me that a major murder happens in a house and they don't sweep the entire place at all, um, right? That doesn't make a damn bit of sense. But especially since this the the case that these murders are partially based on was one of the first cases to ever use like forensic evidence to solve it. Mm-hmm. You guys heard yeah. about this? You seen this? Well, yeah, no, I was going to, that's something we haven't touched on is uh, this is kind of based on a true story. And but also based on the urban legend of the babysitter. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, sorry. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's a dual thing, but yeah. Uh, Tucker, you want to, you want to take that? Uh, well, this is kind of, sort of based on a, a dude named Wayne Bowden uh, who is a serial killer. Uh, I, I'm going to admit to you that I'm kind of reading off uh, Wikipedia now. Kind of trying to paraphrase to make it sound natural but I don't want to. I, I like to have integrity so I like to let the listeners know when it's not off the cuff. You know, 
um he was a serial killer and and someone who had sex with people without consent as well um and why did we mention that there was a connection we were talking about something and i was like well and based, based on, on what it's yeah this is my thing what was my case. point <laughs> that no, this was, was based on an actual case like actual murders that took place in canada around this oh time. the forensic evidence yeah yes. i was gonna say like the fact they didn't even sweep the house for anything and just how careless they were at the end and uh, to see that it was based on again this guy who was a serial killer in canada and the way that he was caught was because he bit the lady's boobs he mm. was a boob biting guy uh to like to where they it was hard for them to get uh dental imprints but they got them and they used them to find him and to convict him which that's one of the first first cases of that being a thing where like forensic evidence in any way shape or form had a part in convicting someone and Fucking it's kind wild. of it's kind of a landmark sort of deal and then for the cops in this to just like oh somebody's dead well we'll get rid of that body there's no body we don't know they're dead it's a missing person wait a minute yeah they're just yeah. a little they're a little daffy um and also i raised this question to the urban legend of the calls are coming from inside of the house mm -hmm. how the fuck unless you have different lines separate lines how the fuck does a call come from the same number it doesn't you can pick up the receiver and someone picks up another receiver and you can talk to that person but you can't call someone over one line in the same house I'm the call Brett can't be coming one. from inside the house take well, it no, Brett. this just reminded me of another problem i had oh. um i was gonna say they actually do address that there is another line in the house they well, they do address that. that in the movie. Yeah, I I, I, I caught line. that this time. Yeah. Um, how? Because I can't imagine in the seventies the soundproofing was a thing. Um, how? If this guy is what appears to be screaming all of these things, especially in one of the last calls, he is very loudly mm -hmm. talking on that phone, and she, the Jess is the only one in the house when that mm -hmm. call comes in. How in the actual fuck does she not hear him? Straight up, not a creature was stirring. No. <laughs> and she's the only motherfucker there. Not even a goddamn mouse. <laughs> and he might, he might, they might be at the furthest points possible in that house that they can be. But she's still going to hear it, man. To which I she would just say. it easily. I am willing to suspend my disbelief to that regard. You are not. But well, I look, I you know I, I can I love to suspend my disbelief. I do it all the time, to watch pretty much any movie. I was like, gonna say, right? yeah. But right, all the people who survived in Scream Scream Six, come on, you guys. And we yeah. love that movie. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Sorry, okay. that's some, yeah, some of that shit doesn't make sense. Dude gets stabbed a million times in the torso and still lives somehow. Mm -hmm. right. Um. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I do that all the time, but, like, I have a limit to that. Like, if something is glaringly, obviously not possible, and they're just doing it for the contrivance of the movie, that's where I take issue with it. Like, 
you know, give me something to explain how she doesn't hear him. Doesn't have to be much. That's the simple line earlier in the movie about how these walls are really thick and you can't hear your neighbor or something. I don't fucking know. Like, yeah, it's it something. could be easily explained away. Yeah, He's something. Down. It doesn't have I, to be a big elaborate explanation. Just, I mean, I, 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 I get it. I get where you're coming. It does. It never. It's never bothered me. Um, I thought about it like briefly during this rewatch and just kind of put it out of my head because again, I was just having a good time um, and didn't want anything to ruin my good time. Damn it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why we talk, man. That's what we're, we're friends. Look, I've ruined plenty of your good times. So you're due um, or I'm due, <laughs> but, um, but like I, I, and you know, it's a three story house with an attic. So he's in the act. She's on the ground floor. You know, sounds traveling through multiple floors to get to her, maybe. Counterpoint, counterpoint, that phone table right by the steps. So if it's going to carry anywhere, it's going to carry right down those fucking steps. Now, if she were in some corner hallway or in a room or something, I get that. But no, she's in the foyer. So pretty much anything that's happening in the house, if it's loud enough, she's going to fucking hear it. I don't tell you, it just it just didn't bother me. I don't know. Especially, and I just remember, thought of this, especially when they go out of their way to cover sound when Barb gets killed. Like, they go out of their way to make sure she doesn't hear it. With the carolers, yeah. Yes. So, like, what? It doesn't... What? I don't understand. And I guess all of his... I don't know. He, he feels like he's whisper screaming. Like, it feels very, like, stage screamy, kind of. Yeah. Except for that last one. The last one is really what I'm taking on bridge with. Because it does sound like he's actually shouting straight and, up. Not, and by that point, stuff. like at, by that point, I think you're just so like I, I was anyway. I was like so in it that I just it didn't it didn't bug me at all. So I don't know, man. I spent most of that scene going, ah, she hears him now. She's gonna hear him now. She never no. heard him. <laughs> no, she didn't hear him. Man. I was like, good. oh, this is gonna pay off. She's gonna hear him now. She but didn't. she did the thing. She she started our girl Olivia Hussey started the trope in slasher mm-hmm. films. Right. Is at towards the end of the movie, the one girl goes into a certain area or several areas, a mm-hmm. house of horrors sometimes, where she walks in and realizes that her friends are dead. Mm-hmm. And they're just like a bloody mess. Like it happens in every slasher movie. It's always like it's always some of the best parts of some of those movies. I feel like yeah, I think it's one of the best parts of this movie, particularly the pan it's over one of the best parts of the original Halloween. I think too is when the, she's just like finding them all. The pan the over to the door, like the the crack in the door between the door and the wall, and his eye, just that giant brown eye, just staring at her. What? So that your boy, he's got a red eye. Like his eye is red, and I was like, "What the fuck does that mean? Why is his eye red? Is that supposed to imply something?" The world like, may never know. No, yeah, but yeah, this guy, needs, this guy needs lore. Goddamn it, he, he he just needs a little. Well, then, or Brett, some vaccine, I, one of the two. Wait, wait till next week, Ben, because you're gonna get so <gasps> much fucking lore next week. I'm so yeah. excited for everyone. Because I, I hear you all out there going, well, why do you like Halloween so much? Is because he, he is he ambiguous? Do we know what the fuck he is? Is he a man? Is he even personified? No, we have no fucking idea, but I still got some backstory. 
and in that first one in that first one too like they don't give you a lot to work with so like that's even better like don't flesh out a story and then make it ambiguous with michael myers they give you what he was like as a child what he did as a child and then boom 15 years later here Mm -hmm. he is as an adult who doesn't speak who just fucking kills people which I think this might be the time to talk about the attempts at a sequel to this movie. Were there? Um, no. Um, it doesn't fit the format. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull the Brett argument on this one in that pretty much okay. any horror film, pretty much if it does well enough, is gonna get sequels. So, well, I'll write that down not- because. That's any movie that doesn't have a sequel. Go ahead and do that. Write that down. Uh, any movie doesn't are, have a sequel. Got horror it. Movies, horror movies are notorious yeah. for it. They are. Um, and the fact that someone didn't take pick up this movie and and make a sequel. I mean, Bob Clark Especially wasn't with the ending. Exactly. I mean, and it's really easy. You pick up like moments later and they're in, like you basically just solve the ambiguity of the ending. One way or the other. Yo, That's all you have to do. Halloween's got kind of got this ending too, because at the end of that movie, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Correct. Because he's gone. He shot him six times. I shot him six times. Well, yeah, but 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 Loomis being there and how much like you learn so much about Michael through Loomis through the mm-hmm. course of the movie. If you had had a Loomis, shout out to buying the mask. If you had uh, had a Loomis, had an, an Ahab, yeah, yeah, an Ahab the whole got time. An Ahab, yeah, like. It, I, I might have bought into this a little bit more. And I and I think that that might be one of the more brilliant strokes of Halloween is the addition of that kind of character to sort of build out the threat a little more without making the threat as I mean, the threat's still vague as hell in Halloween, but not making it quite as vague. Um, no, well, that, you see that may the be guy. one of the master him. You see him in Halloween. That's the big difference. That's what makes it so that Halloween can do everything that this movie did in the exact same way while it being something completely different. Does that make yeah. sense? Did I say something Absolutely. dumb? No. Okay. All right. I got it. Okay. Hey, I'm just making sure. The, so Bob Clark does not himself have any plans to sequelize this, although he did have like the lore of Billy kind Wait, of. is he dead? In, he is now. Yeah. Okay. He died well, in you said that made it sound like he wasn't. No. Like, like in a car accident too or something. Right? Yeah. He was in a car accident. He got hit by a drunk driver. Don't drink and drive. Golly. Um, but uh, he he had never had any plans to make a sequel initially. We'll we'll probably talk about this a little more next week. Um, wink. Oh, because he executive produced it. He the did first remake. He is a he is a kind of a mentor to Glenn Morgan, who was the director of. Oh, the that's remake. sweet. I can't wait to see that movie. Yeah. It'll um, be like a Tom Savini, George Romero sort of. Affair. I, I will. I will warn you in advance. It got Weinstein, so um, oh, well, don't get your happens. hopes up too high. But um, is there bitch. like a is there a director's cut? Nope. Release the fucking whoever directed it's cut. Morgan. Hashtag Release the Morgan cut. Release the Morgan cut. Let's we... make it. Let's make it viral, boys. The um, so John Carpenter in and Bob Clark are working on a, a movie together. And Carpenter was like, you know, you ever going to do a sequel to Black Christmas? And Clark's like, I don't want to do it. Um, And Carpenter, they use actually a lot of the lore that Clark had in his head for Billy gets used in the 2006 film. Um, Not all of it, because some of it, we'll talk about it next week. Um, But a lot of that lore gets used. Um, And so 
um, Carpenter goes, okay, but if you did, what would it be? Like Clark's like, I kind of don't want to do horror anymore. I'm kind of done with it. I'm over it. Like he goes, I want to make, I want to make another Christmas classic, but this time about, you know, a little kid growing up in Indiana, who's going to shoot his eye out. Um, that's the movie I want to make. That's his um, other Christmas movie. That's his other Christmas classic. And then he does so another, insane. he does another college movie too. <laughs> Uh, which, Porkies. Ca- which takes kind of the other view of like uh, the brutalizing of women, which is Porky's. Um, yeah, so he sure did yeah. do the Porky's. So he's, Bob he's Clark is fucking wild. Man. Bob Clark's nice. a man of con. That man's filmography is fucking insane. It really did is. a sequel to Porky's. He couldn't do he a sequel to black Christmas. Come on, man. Um, so Come Carpenter's on, like, dude. okay, if you're going to do it though, what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. The next year he gets out of jail and goes back to the house and does it all again. Um, and we call it, uh, I don't know, he gets released at a different time. So maybe we call it Halloween. Dun, dun, dun. What? This is the From story the- that who brought you baby geniuses and baby geniuses too. comes black Christmas to Halloween. <laughs> um, oh so God. this is the story that Clark tells, but Clark also is very quick to say, no, he didn't steal anything from me. I mean, he was certainly influenced by Black Christmas, the POV. The oh, but they were pals, color. man. Like, they who were, cares right. anyway? Like, they're buds. I don't and, think they even and, gave a fuck. And Clark, is, like, people ask Clark, well, are you mad? He kind of sold us. He goes, he didn't steal anything. Like, he he created his own story. Did it have some similarities? Was it clearly influenced by it? Yes. Do I care? No. Like Sometimes, like, like in the instance of Bob Clark in this instance and your boy George Romero, you realize when you create a genre. Right. You're like, oh shit! I just did something. Like mm-hmm. this is a thing now. Yeah. What's that quote about good artists steal? Uh, I it, the first part, half of that. It's um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Ah, there you go. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And which I mean, you know, which means there are a lot of great artists who stole. their like Bob Dylan stole oh, so much of his early shit. Well, we're all just like doing a variation on the first thing that was ever done. Like musicians, there's you're nothing just doing new a variation under the sun. on the first time a caveman, like figured out how to sing a fucking song. Correct. Like it's just a variation on that shit. Yeah. There's nothing so, new under like, the sun, man. It's, no. it's all been done. You as the bare naked ladies once said. on everything that's ever influenced you. Right. And art. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, and particularly looking around today where all art feels like it's homaging something. I mean, have you seen a Quentin Tarantino movie that should just be called homage the movie? Like, I feel like it's, it's gotten more blatant over the years. For sure. uh, I I mean, I think Tarantino has a lot to do with that. He kind of like the king of lampshading his references, but yeah. Well, I feel like he pushed the envelope and then that gave everybody license to just mm-hmm. like open the envelope and take everything out and scatter it all over the table. Without understanding what they were doing. It became very hacky. Exactly. Like he's a man who can do it skillfully. Not everyone can do it skillfully. Like everyone sees a Tarantino movie and because he makes it look so effortless, it's like, oh, fuck, I could do that. And no, you can't sit down amateur. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's that's basically what it comes down to. Like, and so... I think there was another attempt at a sequel, like after the, I'll just go ahead and do this now. I'll probably bring it up again next week. But um, after the, uh, after the remake bombed, Clark does the Wicker Man thing, which is, geez, that wasn't good. Tell you what, I'm just going to make a sequel to the original. Um, And which is what the author of the original novel, the Wicker Man did. He saw the remake of the Wicker Man and was just like, you know what? I didn't like that. So I'm just going to write my own sequel to the Wicker Man. So he did. He wrote another sequel to the Wicker Man and Clark was going to do a direct sequel to the original film, which I think 
um, Olivia Hussey was going to come back to do as like a new house mother um, in charge of like a new set of, of sorority girls. And that um, uh, he ended up dying before that ever got off the ground. And so what, a sequel was, what year was made. that? Was this man way ahead of his time? Like figuring out the, well, it came out after the remake, so this would have been like 2006, 2007, and he died in 2007. Dude out here thinking up a, what the legacy sequel was before mm-hmm. the legacy reboot, the yeah. rebootquel, or whatever the, the reboot fuck cool. they that, call it. I mean, yeah, that David Gordon Green, I think, popularized. He did not originate it, but I think he kind of popularized it with uh, the his most recent run of Halloween sequels. But yeah, yeah man, that's that's kind of... Tucker sprinting in from the bathroom to make a point. <laughs> I would argue that H2O was one of the first requels. No. As it was one of the first to yeah. ignore several sequels and That's only true. be a sequel to the first two. Halloween 2. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's all I wanted to say. Fair point. Sorry. That is a fair point. No. I should have realized. But I sort of yeah, forgot. I my hands. They're still a little wet. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, the forgotten halloween like set there like that i think because h2o is good but i think that uh it's resurrection comes next right is so bad yes that it kind of ruins h2o retroactively (laughs) h2o i think um it's kind of a movie like hook where every time that i see it i like the movie less Mm -hmm. but i still love the movie um and now in in the instance of hook We've got Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman's performance that just will make it so that I'll never not like that movie. But H2O. I will not stand for this Bob Hoskins erasure, sir. Hey, Bob Hoskins is supporting that performance. Okay. They are a duo. Giving one of the best on his own. Man, I'm just saying. Don't stop me, Smee. Stop me, Smee. Smee, try to stop me. Smee, try to stop me. Smee, what are you doing? Get off your ass and get over here. I can... Oh, my God, yeah. I, I love that I can't bring myself yeah. to disparage a Robin Williams film. Like, ever. Look, no, I do love Robin Williams. Someone has clearly not seen movie. Bicentennial Man, but okay. I, like, it is what it is. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since someone's seen Patch Adams, is all I'm saying. That's Coppola, too. Ouch. That's a double ouch for me. Come on, man. Which one? Patch Adams? Yeah, that's Coppola, no, Cop- dude. No, it's no, not. Coppola You're thinking Jack. Jack. I'm thinking You're Jack. thinking yeah. Jack. You never go full Jack. That was that was gonna be that was gonna be the next one I was gonna bring up. But yeah, oh, look, also isn't great, but I'm not gonna disparage it. You know what else doesn't doesn't sit well with that movie? You know who else is in that movie? Who did that? Kind of in the in the cold light of day, you're like, oh really? Bill Cosby's in that movie. Oh, okay. oh the Patch I I Adams or the Jacks? The Jack. Yeah, I got to disparage it a little bit. Then. Yeah, see, I, I made Brett disparage a Robin yeah. Williams movie. I made you break your one rule. Yeah, That's why we're going to be one doing this photo dance exists. forever. One hour photo exists. So <laughs> that like the fact that that's even a thing that's out there. Dude could have done a hundred like good performances in shitty movies and it wouldn't matter because one hour photo exists. Are you saying that in a good way or a bad way? I can't. Yeah, tell. I really can't. In a tell. good way. I fucking. Have you guys okay. seen one hour photo? Right. Yes. I was oh, like, no, I have not. What does he say? 
Are you it's kidding really me, Steven? I am not Steven. kidding you, Tucker. I've never All seen right. that. Podcast over. Uh, at this French pod. Blah, 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 blah. Steven's going to go watch one hour photo. Bye, guys. I'm going to bed, bitch. Um, you want to you talk about a, like a chilling performance? Are you fucking and, nuts, Steven? How have you then, not seen? I'm so mad at you right now. I saw Insomnia, and he's fucking incredible in that movie. Oh, yeah. That's, that's on my list of Nolan movies to watch that people forget about. I just watched the following spoilers for what are we watching? The, uh, the, this, uh, oh, fuck, what was I about to say? Um, oh, no, Insomnia was the first Nolan movie I ever saw in theaters. That's what I was going to say. Oh, nice. I had that on VHS. Steven, one hour photo is a thriller, a very creepy one with uh, Robin Williams, and he plays a man who works at a one hour photo I'm familiar thingy with the in premise, the mall, yeah. you know, um, and it's directed by Mark Romanic, which is not how you say his name, but that's how I've said it for the last 20 years before I figured out how it was actually pronounced. So that's how I'm going to fucking say it. Who is my favorite music video director ever. And if you watch this film, Steven, you're, I don't want to oversell it, but your life's going to I have a feeling you're already overselling it, but okay. No, Brett, Brett can, Brett's got my back here. I'm not overselling it. This is, this is a before and after. What, Mr. What, Mr. Mr. Um, I will never disparage a Robin Williams movie over here. Well, I, I did. You made me. So I've <laughs> done that. Made now. you break your one rule. <laughs> Look, man, I can't. <laughs> I didn't know there was a terrible human being in one of them. So I mean, let's be honest. There's probably a lot of terrible human beings in Robin Williams movies. Well, sure, but he's the one we know about. And Bill Cosby's in a lot of stuff, man. You ever seen Ghost Dad? What a hoot! <laughs> Leonard Part Six. Not a hoot, but all a those movie. movies he did with Sidney Poitier, man, it makes me again. I will repeat that I'm so disappointed and saddened and just murdered inside. Like a bit of my soul died when I found out who Bill Cosby really was. Have you this not man seen fucking raised me? Have you not no, seen? No, I'm. A, it's on my list, Stephen. You told me I should watch it, Get and it, I probably should watch it. And but I keep passing by it because I can't do it, man. I can't. It hurts too much, man. It hurts it's, much. That is the documentary that started boy, me on my watching documentaries about terrible up, people. Grew up on old school AMC where they did kind of the TCM thing or the the TMC, not Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but Turner Movie Classics. Uh, they did the TMC no, thing. No, it's TCM. It's Turner Classic Movies. Same thing. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Got it. Um, but your boy grew up on AMC showing all those Bill Cosby, Sydney, Bill Cosby, Sydney Poitier movies, of which my favorite is Let's Do It Again. And do you know I haven't been able to watch that movie since? You know how good all him. those fucking movies are? But Tucker, I think that's why you need to talk about Cosby. I'm, look, I do need to, but I'm not you ready. You need to reckon with that. Okay, okay look, I'm not fair. ready. I'll get there. I'll get there. That's fair. But you need, you need to do that. Like, are we kind of doing a bit? Yes, but also it's kind of real. It is. Yeah. Like, I do feel this way. Am I being silly? Yes. Is it real? Also, yes. That's that's how you know, like, it's really funny because it's 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 rooted in truth. This is this is why I drink, Bill Cosby. You did this to me. <laughs> I think you were I think you were drinking before that, but OK, let's blame. Not Cosby. as much. And, and just be careful you're not drinking around him. That's for sure. Oh, oh no. Mm. <laughs> Oof. Moving on. Bro, you're a bad boy. You're a bad boy. <laughs> I appreciate you.
Black Christmas. Um, to to call back what I did uh, the intro for this episode. Uh, apparently, one of Elvis's favorite Christmas movies. Uh, he would watch it every year, um, which is to say, he watched it like for the next couple years after uh, it came out before he died because he died like a couple years after that, like in '76, I think. Um, so, but he apparently watched it and liked it so much that his family kept watching it after he died in, in memory of him. Uh, also, apparently one of Steve Martin's favorite movies uh, when he 72 met 72 times, man, when he met Olivia Hussey uh, on the set of Roxanne, he's like, you're in one of my favorite movies. And she's thinking, oh yeah, Romeo and Juliet, which is, I mean, she was a get for this movie because she had just done Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, which was huge. Um, and she's like, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I get that a lot. He's like, no, Black Christmas. I've seen that movie like 27 times in the 80s. Like, he just loved that movie so much. And um, yeah. Like VHS, like, even it, it didn't even exist. Like, he had to have had like a print of this. Right. That he watched on like a dirty sheet on his wall. Right. Which I could absolutely see Steve Martin doing. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, like um, it's and it's become a kind of a cult classic, um, which brings us to next week talking about the 20, 2006 remake. But like it becomes kind of this cult underground classic uh, doesn't make a lot of money, though it is at the time of its release, the fourth most successful Canadian film of all time. It grosses four million dollars. Um, but it had some competition, though, I feel like is kind of a big part of that, right? The the two uh, Canadian films that outgrossed at the time were the 1974 um, Richard Dreyfuss film, The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, and the f- 1970 French language film, Du Femme en Or. Uh, no, what I meant was... Me the week that it came out, it had some stiff competition. That's the thing. I probably, yes. Uh, it was released in America. Let me check the, let me check IMDb here real quick. Released in America on December 20th, 1974. Um, however, um, the numbers doesn't go back that far. Uh, but I can tell you that the number one movie in America that weekend uh, was a little movie in its second week starring Charles Bronson would go on to start its own franchise and a spinoff that didn't uh, death wish was number one at the box office. And it would be unseated the following week by a little film called the Godfather part two. Yes, that was a big one. That was a big one that kind of, took away from this film i think but in terms of like how what this one grossed in um in america give me a second here because i actually did have this information pulled up at one point and i have completely misplaced what happened it. to it man oh here it is um so it's it is initially released in america under the title silent night evil night because uh, the studios thought that calling it Black Christmas would make people think it was a black exploitation movie. Yes. Because why the fuck else would black be in a title? Racist That's 70s motherfuckers. Um, then they re released it the following year and called it Black Christmas, and it did a lot better. Um, that, yeah, because they re released it in August of the following year, and it, it grossed a lot more. I think it grossed about. Um, 
86,340. So it, it makes about a million dollars in the United States during 1975 from August to December, uh, and then grosses uh, a couple million in Canada as well. So it becomes very, it, it does fairly well, but it's still just kind of this minor, I think it, in terms of the overall box office of the 1974, which again, I kind of had to reverse engineer from a bunch of different sources. It's like 90th or like 96th or something on the list of the top 100. It's toward the bottom. Um, the number one film of the year was uh, a little movie called Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles hey, was the number one movie in America. Excuse me while I whip this out. Uh, the number two film, a little movie called The Towering Inferno, uh, which is actually uh, not bad. Towering Inferno, fun movie. Former nickname to past and future guests of the podcast, JP Leck, The Towering Inferno Joe. Ah, because he's so tall, you see, he is. He is a tall. He is a tall drink of water. That one, uh, the the third highest grossing movie, uh, Young Frankenstein. That's right. Mel Brooks has two movies in the top five think, for that uh, year. S- Stephen, I think that's Frankenstein. Oh yeah, you're probably right. Um, in fourth place, a little Charlton Heston film called Earthquake. You ever notice how he acts through his teeth? Charlton Heston, he acts through his teeth. That's that's why he's so good. His, his teeth never part. No, yeah. you really screwed the pooch last night, Harry. Uh, go go listen to our episode on True Lies. That was a good one. I yeah, like dude, that movie. Get it. Get it. Uh, and, and then in fifth place, cameo in Wayne's World. And in fifth place, uh, a little movie called Airport, nineteen seventy five. So that's th- two comedies wow. and three disaster movies in the top five. Uh, wow. Rounding out the top ten, you've got Murder on the Orient Express, Benji. Herbie Rides Again, The oh, Godfather Benji, Part the little 2. Doggy, little doggy Benji. Yeah. And Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Those are the... Well, that's a car movie. I like car movies. So we got a couple car movies in there, too. Um, but Black Christmas... Oh, reference, sorry. I looked it up. A million dollars in 1974 equals about six and a half million nowadays. Right. reference. To- so... So yeah, I mean, not again, not the kind of movie that people are like, oh yeah, let's let's make a ton of sequels to this. Um, it it earns about one point three million total during its theatrical run in Canada. Um, total it was also going against a Bond film, which is worth mentioning. The Man with the Golden Gun is also coming out that week, right? Spoilers, I guess, for what you were about to say. Sorry, Stephen. No, 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 you're fine. No, I was I was getting ready to move on to the Tomatometer score. So no, that that's word, word, word. that is worth mentioning. Uh not one of the best Bond movies, though, I will say. I'm I'm not a as 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 has previously been mentioned on this podcast, not a big fan of Roger Moore. I just don't give a fuck about James Bond. I wish I did, because it looks like everybody who loves that stuff has a great time. There are some really fun ones, and there's some really not as fun ones. And the the more stuff is just too goofy for me. He's he's just a very goofy James Bond, and I don't I don't care for that. Yeah, I like people same. who have played James Bond. I like Timothy Dalton. No, yeah. I like Timothy Crosby. Dalton, my favorite Bond. I will just I just want to throw that out there. Timothy Dalton, Timothy Dalton my favorite. My Bond. favorite. Period. That's it. My favorite. Full stop. <laughs> full stop. Yeah. No. I, I I I'm the same Tucker except for Goldeneye, and I just love Goldeneye because I played the shit out of the because game the with video my friends game. in high school. Oh, yeah. 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 So I don't. I don't like it as a movie. I may have seen the movie like once. 
but, but you know the broad strokes of the plot because you played that game so much, both in single and multiplayer mode. Absolutely. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, the Tomatometer score for Black Christmas is a 72%. The critics consensus, the rare slasher with enough intelligence to wind up the tension between bloody outbursts. Black Christmas offers fiendishly enjoyable holiday viewing for genre fans. I agree. Word. Uh, the meta score on this one is... Uh, apparently, my all of my tabs stopped loading, and I'm probably frozen right now that's not using chrome aren't you steven i am i have to to get this bloody thing to load um i'm gonna start that up your ram dude i'm gonna take this again just like that strip how did you get it yet steven yes i got it i'm getting i'm trying to say it and you keep talking (laughs) i'm trying to get myself i'm trying to give you a clean edit point bitch I'm trying to help you, and it turns out I'm just making it worse. You are just making it <laughs> That's just making it worse. Don't tell them what we did, Agnes. Um, the meta score on this one is a 65 based on generally favorable reviews from nine critics. That's fair. Right. And the letterbox score, which is also going to take a while to load because, oh, and I just closed it because I hate you life. Son of a, you son of a bitch. I'm the worst. Steven. I'm just the worst person. Golly. No, you're not, man. But like, come on, man. But also, yes, you are. Uh, the letterbox score is to do. the letterbox score is a 3.8. Brett. That's fair. Brett, out of five stars, how do you rate 1974's Black Christmas? I'm right there with the average at a 3.5. 3.5. Tucker, what about you? Surprisingly, that's a three for me. Oh. I really, I did, I did enjoy a lot of aspects of this movie. I think upon further rewatches, my score will probably go up. But as it stands right now, it's a three out of five. Whereas I initially had it at a 3.5. And after this rewatch, I bumped it up to a 4.5. Because I just had a fucking blast with this. Fucking hell, man. Damn. Yeah, man. That makes me excited. Again, you guys, we got to do that Patreon show, man. I'm not leaving it alone. I'm blowing up that chat tomorrow. Doing it. We got to do it. Yeah, that is what we got for 1974's Black Christmas. Um. You can find us on the social medias. We're the Disenfranchised Podcast, in case you forgot what podcast you were listening to. <laughs> uh, you can find us on uh, most social media platforms. Specifically, you can find us on uh, Blue Sky, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at DisenfranchPod. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Patreon, as Tucker mentioned before, patreon.com slash DisenfranchPod. Are we going to do that Black Christmas rewatch? God, Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we're going to have a free week. I feel like we should. Let's find out. Um, And uh, you can also shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. And while you're on the internet, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a nice, big old, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. We really appreciate it and would absolutely love to hear what you have to say uh, about us, provided it's good. If it's not good, just shut up. Um, But yeah. Um, I am your host, Stephen Foxworth. You can find me on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on socials these days? 
You can find me on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Blueski at uh, sus underscore warlock, except for Blue Sky, which didn't let me put the underscore. Bastards. So it's just sus warlock on so Blue Sky. Warlock, yeah. What the fuck is that? I'm over there on I'm over there on Blueski like the 2002 posting song lyrics. So come check the it out. Nerve. That's true. You are over there like like it's your own personal MySpace page, man. I love it for you. Yeah, look, man. Or like dude. Yahoo Messenger, where it, mm-hmm. you could, would just show your the songs message. you were playing. Yeah, yeah, dude. dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm an elder millennial. It is my right to post song lyrics on social media. And like I, they do that I on like Instagram, that yep. but it doesn't. It feels dirty now. You know what I mean? Mm. Like when I go onto my Instagrams, it'll say like who's live and some of those people, it'll show what they're listening to on whatever they're listening to it on. No, thanks. And like, I don't know, that felt okay back in the day, but now I don't know. It's just hits different. Mm. You know. Hey, hey, Tucker, while you're prattling on about that, why don't you prattle on about yeah. your socials for a little bit? Well, you can find me as always on the Instagrams and on the YouTubes. At ice nine oh nine, that's I C E N I N E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, also on Instagram, you can check out uh, Tuck Mugs, which is Tuck underscore Mugs. Uh, this is the world premiere announcement of the next Tuck Mugs post, which will be sometime this week. Like we want to tell you when it's gonna be, but we're kind of still trying to keep that pop up feel, you know, that real independent vibe and shit. You know, but this is this is the announcement. Next week's post, we're finally going to get a look at my hand-painted tulips. I've been saving this one, you guys, because my hand-painted tulips, mm, it's perfection. You'll see. You'll all see. So uh, <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show metaphor, you. <laughs> no, my I have. Look, wait for the post. It'll probably drop like maybe, I don't know, Wednesday. That's just an estimation. It depends. So the day before this episode drops? We've we've been quality testing it, and there's still some bugs in the post that we have to kind of work out and figure out. Like, we don't want this to affect the end user. You know, uh, we want this to be something that comes out clean. We don't want a cyberpunk situation. Uh, You know, we want something that's going to, it's going to be good. Next week, you guys, the tulips, get excited. Also, still need some guest mugs, because if you want more than just like a post every three to four weeks, we're going to need some guest mugs. And not only am I talking about the people who are to the people who are listening now, but I'm talking to Brett and I'm talking to Steven. You guys, yeah, you're the only Steven that I'm talking to right now that's here. I don't know who you you got behind your monitor, dude. I don't know. I don't know nothing. You can see. It's a wall, dude. Look, I can't go any. I'm trying to. It's a wall, man. You're a really good actor. Anyway, I've seen a movie you were in. You guys. Oh, stop it, Steven. <laughs> so guest mugs, you guys. I need one from each of you. I need to one. have one like in my pocket. If there's like a two week spread where I'm like, oh, man, like I'm trying to get this post together. If only I had a guest mug. So I need guest mugs from you guys. And I need one guest mug from each listener on my desk uh by monday morning at 7 a.m eastern time all right um all right fine. because look you guys i'm not running out of mugs that's not the problem i swear i'm not running out of mugs okay i did not show too much of my hand too early i would never do that absurd it's good just day, i'm sir. trying to sp- yeah I-, I said good day 
you get nothing. <laughs> anyway, no, give me some guest mugs because I really would like to pad out these long stretches. It's just uh, in the winter, my schedule's a little different and the times that I drink coffee are a little different. So the time I use mugs, like it's more of a time where I don't really have time to sit and take a pic and write a whole little doodad story about it. And um, So I need some guest mugs to pad the winter out. So calling all disenfranchised listeners, if, you, if this is your first time listening to this podcast and you hated every second of it, great. That's wonderful. But still send me a guest mug, please. That's not great please. at all. What are you talking about? No, man. What's great about the world is that people be liking different shit, like for different reasons. So if somebody doesn't like our stuff, that's almost as good as somebody liking our stuff, because that means that we affected them in a way. You know, we reached them positive or negative. We spoke to them they and they heard us. Them. Yeah. So uh, there you go. There you go. Good job, you guys. Uh, well done. Take us home, Stephen. Right on. Well, we'll be back next week with our very special guest. I really hope they're able to record with us tomorrow. Otherwise, that's going to be awkward. Um, talking about Black Christmas 2006. Until then, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host, Brett Wright and Tucker. Until next time, you'll be doing all right with your Christmas of white, but I'll have a black, 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 black Christmas. <laughs>